Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A secret list detailing some of the documents seized from former President Trump was released online, even though a judge ordered the list to remain under seal. OPEC ignores Biden's plea to ramp up oil production and instead does the opposite. It's the biggest cut in two years, how it could impact your bottom line and how the White House is responding. A political ceasefire as President Biden visits Florida, what he says about rebuilding after Hurricane Ian and how Florida Governor Ron DeSantis responds. Why did the FBI arrest a pro-life sidewalk activist? We'll hear from the advocate's attorney who says they don't have a case. Defrauding the government by more than a million dollars. Some IRS employees allegedly used COVID relief money for luxury items and trips to Vegas. And in baseball, one lucky fan caught a piece of history last night off the bat of Aaron Judge. And he's already been offered a fortune for it. secret list detailing some of the documents seized from former President Trump was released online overnight. A Bloomberg reporter obtained the list from the court docket and published it online. According to the list, the documents include an internal analysis on the commutation of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, an unsigned letter from attorneys to former special counsel Robert Mueller, a Senate clemency request for RN, a medical letter, and tax forms. The list was filed in court in August by the Department of Justice. The main document was unsealed on Monday on orders from U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon, but she ordered the list to remain under seal to protect attorney-client privilege. The list is still under seal, but continues to be circulated by some users online. And a victory for the government today in the back-and-forth legal battle over the documents from Mar-a-Lago. A court granted the DOJ's request to speed up consideration of their appeal. The department hopes to stop the special master's review. If they're successful, the current work done by the special master and further proceedings would be unnecessary. The DOJ used that line of reasoning to file their brief early and ask that the Trump team be required to respond early as well. The Trump team argued that the federal rules give them 30 days to respond, but they must now submit a response eight days earlier than before. The court's order didn't give a reason for the decision. And OPEC Plus is cutting oil production, and it's the biggest cut since 2020. The White House responded today, calling it short-sighted and using it as an opportunity to push for a quicker transition to renewable energy. NTD's Melina Wisecup has more details. Gas prices are expected to go up once again, though experts say this price increase will be incremental. This is after OPEC earlier today announced that they're planning to scale back production by 2 million barrels per day. OPEC says this is what's needed in order to provide stability to the global oil market. They're concerned about the lack of investment in the industry, um, which is also being echoed by a lot of companies in the West. The reality of this situation is if you want to attract investment, you need higher oil prices. 
OPEC has already been underperforming their actual quotas, so the cut in production will actually be closer to around 1.25 million barrels per day. And this decision ignores Biden's calls for foreign suppliers to sustain and increase production. In response, the White House said they were disappointed and called the action short-sighted. So how much will it affect the price you pay? Experts say it all depends on how the U.S. responds. We're going to stay in this range for a while. The United States continues to release oil from the strategic reserve. I mean, that, in my view, is dangerous. We're at our lowest levels since 1984. In addition to continuing to use oil from our emergency stockpile, the U.S. is also considering an export ban to Europe. But this may also have negative effects down the road. It, it disrupts fuel flows in such that eventually refiners are going to be forced to cut runs significantly in the United States. That's eventually going to lead to even higher prices in the U.S. So both of these options now that they're discussing are very short term. What they should be doing is encouraging domestic production. And President Biden also directed the Energy Department to explore ways to increase domestic production in the immediate term while also calling for a quicker transition to renewable energy. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. President Biden is in Florida today surveying damage by Hurricane Ian. He's also meeting with a political rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Serving storm damage by helicopter and meeting with local residents, President Biden is in Florida on Wednesday vowing to help it rebuild. Today we have one job and only one job and that's to make sure the people of Florida get everything that they need to fully thoroughly recover. The trip is marked by a political ceasefire between Biden and Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, a top Biden critic who's also a potential White House contender. At a joint press conference, Biden stressed unity. This is the United States of America, and I emphasize united. And DeSantis thanks Biden for prompt federal action on Hurricane Ian. We were very fortunate to have good coordination uh, with the uh, White House. And the next day, we got a major disaster declaration approved by the president, uh, and we really appreciated that. But Biden's praise for DeSantis takes a different turn as he brings up climate change. And I think the one thing this has finally ended is a discussion about whether or not there's climate change. First of all, the biggest thing the governor's done and some of the others have done, they've recognized this thing called global warming. DeSantis did not address the issue during Wednesday's press conference, but has in the past slammed what he calls a left-wing agenda behind climate issues. What I found is people, when they start talking about things like global warming, they typically use that as a pretext to do a bunch of left-wing things that they would want to do anyways. And so we're not doing any left-wing stuff. And Biden and DeSantis have had a number of political battles in just the past months, including over the Biden administration's border policies and over the Florida governor's decision to send illegal immigrants over to Martha's Vineyard. And just the day before the Wednesday trip, the White House press secretary has just reiterated Biden's criticism of DeSantis' move. The president laid out his concerns um, uh, and outrage by the stunt, the political stunt. But she also said the political fight between the two will stop for the moment. There will be plenty of time to, dis to plenty of time to discuss differences between the president and the governor, uh, and but now is not the time. Reporting in Washington D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. 
Next, we bring you an inside perspective about what happened when the FBI arrested a pro-life advocate two weeks ago. NTD's Arlene Richards spoke with the activist's attorney, who says the government doesn't have a case. Here's more. A pro-life sidewalk advocate was criminally charged last year over an incident involving an abortion escort. That matter was dismissed by a local district attorney. But then the activist, Mark Houck, got a surprise visit. We got at least 20 federal agents outside the Houck home, 15 uh, law enforcement vehicles parked on their lawn, guns drawn. The FBI arrested Houck based on a charge from the dismissed case filed by Bruce Love. I spoke to Houck's attorney, Peter Breen, about what happened. Three months before Mr. Houck was arrested by the FBI, an attorney at the Thomas More Society contacted the Department of Justice. What did he say and what was their response? So our Matt Heffern, senior former federal prosecutor, reached out, made two phone calls, and sent a written follow-up to the assistant U.S. attorney saying two things. One, you don't have a case. But then number two, and importantly for the issue of the raid that later occurred, we said, if you decide to indict, despite having no case, we will present Mark in response to the summons. And what was the response from the DOJ? Absolute silence until that Friday, September 23rd, we get an email from them saying, we have your clients in custody. Breen said the government's charges conflict with Love's criminal complaint huge difference is that in the federal indictment, they allege that there were two instances on the day in question. Love's complaint only mentioned one incident. Breen said that incident didn't violate federal law. So why was Halk indicted? They're trying to scare good pro-life people from being outside of the nation's abortion clinics. GOP members of the Senate Judiciary Committee sent Attorney General Merrick Garland a letter on September 28 and asked why Houck was indicted. NTD also reached out to the Justice Department with the same question. So far, we haven't gotten a response. Meanwhile, the FBI said in a statement last week that it handled the matter professionally in line with standard practices and that reports of the number of agents present is an exaggeration. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Multiple IRS employees are being charged with defrauding the government's COVID relief programs. They allegedly spent the money on luxury goods and trips to Las Vegas. Five current and former IRS employees allegedly defrauded two federal stimulus programs of hundreds of thousands of dollars. The Paycheck Protection Program and the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program were put in place to help people affected by economic hardships caused by COVID lockdowns. The DOJ issued a statement saying the suspects used the money for cars, luxury goods, and personal travel, including trips to Las Vegas. No one said they, they had a kid with cancer or there was some long suffering. It seemed all of them wanted to get things um, that were beyond their normal means of purchase. Michael Sullivan is a former IRS agent and the founder of the Sullivan Tax Group. Court documents say that the five suspects got the funds by submitting fraudulent loan applications that collectively sought over $1 million. Sullivan tells NTD that the Small Business Administration, which provided the loans, should review its approval process to help prevent this type of fraud. The SBA was involved in the investigation, and their Office of Inspector General said the OIG is a ready partner in safeguarding the integrity of SBA's programs and in bringing wrongdoers to justice. 
Sullivan says this bad publicity for the IRS comes at a critical time for the agency amid scrutiny about the possible 87,000 new agents. The hiring of the 87,000 agents or whatever it is. So yeah, all this combined, if another thing happens, it's just going to get worse. And it really gives other congressmen and everything the ability to say, hey, let's defund IRS. We don't like what's going on. The five suspects are charged with wire fraud and money laundering, which carry maximum penalties of 20 and 10 years behind bars, respectively. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. New York City's illegal immigrant tent city was slated for the Bronx, but now it's moving to Randall's Island. Democratic Mayor Eric Adams blames both parties for the city's humanitarian crisis. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. New York City Mayor Eric Adams said the city is facing a humanitarian crisis made by human hands. We don't even know how many buses we're going to get from the southern part of the state. It went from uh, two buses to eight buses to four buses. Then he addressed the latest change to the city's illegal immigrant tent city. We're going to continue to pivot and shift. There's a lot of pivoting and shifting is going to take place. This is a humanitarian crisis. A lot of people have never dealt with humanitarian crises before. Realize that you have to make the right decisions. We're going to ensure safety. We're going to ensure that we give the support that no one else in the country is doing uh, for the migrant and asylum seekers. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Adam said the move is the most efficient and effective path forward. Democrats in New York City have criticized Adams' decisions to house the illegal immigrants in tents. Uh, the far right is doing the wrong thing and the far left is doing nothing. I mean, everyone needs to be in this game. You know, these people who are saying that don't put folks here, don't put folks there. Adams, as well as Governor Kathy Hochul, have each asked the federal government for help with the humanitarian crisis in New York. Meanwhile, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is also calling on the federal government, but to help secure the southern border. He addressed Adams' comments at a press conference covered by Forbes. First, uh, I will tell you that we have an open invitation to the mayor to come see the border and see firsthand what they're dealing with. Customs and Border Protection logged around 200,000 migrant encounters in August alone. The tent city here in New York will house just about 16,000 migrants. Jason Perry, NTD News. New York. And down at the border with Mexico, a National Guardsman has reportedly died by suicide. It's one of several suspected suicides over the past 18 months linked to Texas's Operation Lone Star, the state's mission to counter illegal immigration and the illegal drug trade. And on the same day, Tuesday, another fatal shooting at the border. We hear about that and more from retired Homeland Security Investigations agent Victor Avila, who I spoke with earlier today. Victor Avila, welcome to our show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me back. Another suspected suicide linked to Operation Lone Star in Texas. As a former ICE and HSI special agent, you have an intimate understanding of the conditions at the border, and you've been there recently yourself. Could you take us there? What could he have been facing? Um, well, I was just there, and I interacted a lot with the National Guard, and I could tell you they're facing some very, very strenuous conditions. Um, one is the inability to do anything at the border. They're just there uh, on a post for 12-hour shifts, and then they get they go home. They don't have the best, uh, you know, setup for uh, for living arrangements, and then get to get some rest and go back and do it all over again for another 12 hours. 
And I think that does something for you, especially if you already suffer from some kind of a, you know, mental issue or have a, a, a some kind of issue going on. It's not conducive to that environment, and therefore we've lost not just the one yesterday, but we've lost several uh, National Guardsmen to suicide. And it's not the only carnage happening at the, at the border. You mentioned there's a shooting recently. Could you tell us more about that? That's right. Uh, just uh, yesterday, the, um, uh, there was a shooting at the uh, Isleta Station in El Paso, Texas. Uh, uh, an illegal alien was being processed. Uh, he's considered an aggravated felon. This is a, a person that has a prior criminal history. And while he was in the processing center, he reached for some scissors and grabbed them and tried to stab a Border Patrol agent. A Border Patrol agent defended himself and shot him, and, uh, and the illegal alien passed away. But it just goes to show that it, we're seeing these type of uh, uh, conditions at the border and these type of activities that we normally would not see, where uh, people from other countries are coming into our country and expecting to be just let in, or if they're not, they will fight to do it. In your view, has there been a shift or a change of some sort leading to this kind of violence recently? It really has, because you know, it, it, it's, it's important to understand the cartels on the Mexican side control that. They have separated the human smuggling part of it and the, and the individuals that are turning themselves in. They're sending them mostly, if not almost all of them, to the Eagle Pass, Texas area. That's where you see the, the, these huge numbers of illegal aliens that come in and turn themselves in. But let's not forget that they're still smuggling Mexican nationals, uh, Central Americans throughout the whole border, and also seeing a huge activity in El Paso, Texas, with unaccompanied minors being brought over. So the shift is continuously. And the reason we have to pay attention to the cartels in Mexico, because there's a, they're the ones that are controlling the border on the Mexican side and dictating where they send these individuals. Texas Governor Greg Abbott's Democratic challenger, Beto O'Rourke, criticized Operation Lone Star yesterday, saying the governor has treated the guardsmen as political pawns. What's your take on that? Listen, uh, Beto has, uh, uh, despite him being from the border, as a matter of fact, I'm from the same town of El Paso, Texas. Him and I could not be different, more different in, in our views. Um, he understands and he should know the, the conditions at the border. And operation Lone Star is a great operation of law enforcement on the border. Uh, everything that gets away or tries uh, the, the DPS under the, the, the governor is trying to detain and detect and interdict some of those activities. The human smuggling, for example, we have a tremendous amounts of car chases where the human smugglers have a, a load of uh, aliens in a car. Um, the drug trafficking continues, the human trafficking and the guns, all of that. DPS is trying to contain that as much as possible. If we didn't have Operation Lone Star, it would be a free-for-all for everybody. How do you think more suicides and other tragedies can be prevented at the border? Well, I have an easy answer for that. You secure the border. Um, a secure border will save lives, and, that's, uh, and that's, that's a fact. What's happening right now, because of the open border uh, policy under the Biden administration, uh, you have people drowning at a rate of a, one a day. You have people uh, dying in the desert. You have people committing suicide. By the way, immigrants are also committing suicide. Um, they're hanging themselves by trees when they get lost uh, in the desert. There's a lot of stuff going on there besides the ones that die uh, while they're being smuggled, like the 53 in the back of the tractor trailer a couple of months ago. 
So there's a lot of death, there's a lot of drownings on the border. If that border was secure and the individuals uh, from around the world knew that this border was secure and they were not going to be allowed to come in, they would not attempt to come to these treacherous uh, conditions. Victor Avila, retired ICE Special Agent, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The CEO of a U.S. election software company has been arrested. A California district attorney alleges it's related to stolen data from county workers and that the company stored information on servers based in China. Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon announced Tuesday an arrest as part of an investigation of data theft and storing data on servers in China. We're here today to announce the arrest of Yuying Yu, who is a chief executive officer of Canic Corporation in Michigan, in connection with the theft of personal data of Los Angeles County election workers. Investigators seized hard drives and other digital evidence. The investigators have been conducting searches of his home and other Koenig locations in Michigan. According to the district attorney's office, the investigation is concerned solely with the information of election workers, stating that the allegations had no impact on election results. At issue here is the theft of personal identifying information of election workers in Los Angeles County. This information is not, I repeat, it is not related to election material or voter information. The Michigan-based company is responsible for the software used in managing Los Angeles County election poll workers. According to Gascon's office, Connick won a five-year, $2.9 million contract with LA County in 2020 for its election worker management system named Poll Chief that was used by the county in the last California election. Connick was supposed to securely maintain the data and that only United States citizens and permanent residents have access to it. Investigators found that in contradiction to the contract, information was stored on servers in China. A day before Yu's arrest, the New York Times reported on October 3rd that Connick had become the target of allegations that it has ties to the Chinese Communist Party. The company denies the allegations. On September 12th, Connick sued a nonprofit vote monitoring organization called True the Vote for repeatedly making, quote, false and racist accusations against Connick. The organization claims that Connick is tied to the Confucius Institute, a CCP organization that spreads propaganda through Western universities. Entity reached out to Connick for comment. The district attorney's office is seeking use extradition to Los Angeles. David Lamb, Entity News, California. Coming up, a settlement over actor Alec Baldwin's shooting on a movie set last year. A prosecutor in New Mexico reacts. That and more coming up. Dr. Alec Baldwin has settled a lawsuit with the family of his shooting victim, Helena Hutchins. Baldwin shot the cinematographer during the filming of Rust last fall. As part of the settlement, the victim's husband, Matthew Hutchins, will serve as an executive producer on the movie. 
Other terms of the settlement were not disclosed. The husband said, quote, All of us believe Helena's death was a terrible accident. I am grateful that the producers and the entertainment community have come together to pay tribute to Helena's final work. A district attorney in New Mexico commented on the settlement, saying it will have no impact on her decision whether to file criminal charges against Baldwin. The DA's investigation into the shooting is ongoing. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge hit his record-breaking 62nd home run of the season last night in a 3-2 loss at Texas. The historic ball traveled 391 feet into the left field stands and was caught on the fly by local fan Corey Yemmons. Yemmons later commented that he wasn't sure what he was going to do with the ball while being escorted away to have his piece of history authenticated. Judge, meanwhile, said, quote, it would be great to get it back, but that's a souvenir for a fan. He made a great catch out there, and they've got every right to it. Elsewhere in baseball, with today being the final day of the regular season, the playoff matchups are finally set, with the best of three wild card round starting on Friday. Here are the matchups. In the American League, Tampa Bay will face Cleveland, Seattle gets Toronto, while New York and Houston each receive a bye. In the National League, Philadelphia squares off against St. Louis, and San Diego battles New York, with Atlanta and Los Angeles receiving byes. And in NFL news, Tom Brady and his model wife, Giselle Bündchen, have hired divorce attorneys, according to multiple reports. The pair have been married since 2009 and have two children of their own, as well as Brady's son from a prior relationship. The seven-time Super Bowl winner retired this past offseason only to change his mind 40 days later and return. His injury-riddled Buccaneers are off to a 2-2 two two start and host the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Elsewhere in the league, Indianapolis Colts running back Jonathan Taylor has been ruled out for Thursday night's game against the Denver Broncos. Last year's leading rusher suffered a badly twisted ankle in Sunday's loss to the Tennessee Titans. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And this just in, the fan who caught Aaron Judge's 60-second home run ball has been offered $2 million for it. The offer is from J.P. Cohen, the owner of a sports memorabilia auction house called Memory Lane. But he hasn't heard back yet. Cohen said his company has a good relationship with the New York Yankees and would be willing to loan it to them for an exhibit. And that brings us to the end of today's evening news. But if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, please do reach out by emailing us at eveningnews at ntd.com. We read and appreciate every message we receive. So thanks again for tuning in and see you again soon. I'm Stephanie Cox.